Psalm 25. Now, Psalm is one of the easy books in the Bible to find. You just open your Bible in the middle and that's pretty much where Psalm is. Page 442. Psalm 25 of David. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come to those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them in his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my afflictions and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from their troubles. This is the word of the Lord. I learnt something great about biscuits and cakes recently. Um, I learnt, um, like, the big difference between a biscuit and a cake. I'm sure this is fascinating to all of you. Um, But um, one of the big differences between a biscuit and a cake is that when a cake goes stale, it goes hard, and when a biscuit goes stale, it goes soft. And I found that kind of funny because you've got these two things that are pretty... They're kind of similar to each other, um, but that when exposed to the same thing, air, they have these two very, very different um, responses, don't they? One goes hard when exposed to the air, when it goes stale, and one goes soft when it's exposed to the air. And weirdly um, enough, that's what I was reminded of in looking at Psalm 25 this week, um, that... Um, us, when we're exposed to something which is probably just as common as air, and that's pain and suffering, um, our hearts can have um, 
the same kind of reaction. Like surely um, we all know somebody um, that we love dearly perhaps who's um, suffered greatly, um, who's experienced great pain and, and that exposure has done this hardening work in their heart, like hard towards God. And for somebody else who may have experienced the same magnitude of suffering or pain, that has actually done a softening work in, in their heart. And so um, my, my hope is that as we look together this morning at Psalm 25, that we will be like King David, who by the Spirit penned these song lyrics, um, that we would be soft-hearted towards God like him. Um, he's got this undefined suffering, this undefined pain, and so because of that, we can kind of read our own experience into, into that. Um, but his suffering is great, and yet he's soft-hearted towards God. And he writes in this psalm, in this song, he does it in a, in a beautiful and maybe surprising sort of way. It's done in an acrostic Form, you know, like an acrostic poem or an acrostic song. So every line in the original language starts with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We kind of miss that. Um, I sometimes sing to my daughter Edith a song that goes, A, you're adorable, B, you're so beautiful, C. I won't do the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but, but that's an example of, of an acrostic song. Um, expressing something deep within, and, and that's what we've got here in um, these words um, to, to God. Um, but there's something special about this acrostic in that it's not perfect, it's, it's broken, there's, there's letters missing and some are repeated, it's kind of interrupted, it's a bit like the, the life that it describes. I wonder how many of us um, feel like life gets interrupted by suffering or that life is kind of a bit broken, just like this acrostic. Well, if you feel that way, then this psalm is for you. It's for, for all of us. So first of all, we see that the soft-hearted David who, who wrote this, he turns to God, he trusts himself to God, he lifts up his soul to God for, for four things that we see. First of all, he turns to God in the middle of his suffering for guidance. Verses 4 and 5, he says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. And then skipping down to verses 8 and 9, um, and 10, he sings, good and upright is the Lord, and therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. And then in verse 12, he says, who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. So it's pretty amazing that even in the pain of his life, even in the suffering that he's got, the cry from his heart isn't just a cry of, Lord, would you take away my suffering? Would you, would you heal me of this pain? Would you fix this situation? He does do that 
in this psalm. He does cry out to the Lord for rescue. But what we've got here is this cry um, from a depth of maturity of faith where he says, in the middle of my suffering, Lord, would you be working? Would you be leading me and guiding me? Would you be teaching me? Would you be instructing me? Even right now in my suffering. Because it's, it's kind of easy, maybe it's the easier thing to only to cry out to the Lord, like, God, would you take this great pain away from me? But here he's saying, in the middle of my pain, while I wait for your rescue, would you be leading me and guiding me, giving me wisdom on how to respond? That I would be living life after you. About um, 10 years ago, I was traveling through America with some friends and um, we, we kind of went to the Grand Canyon. I, I say kind of because we, like, we, we almost got there. We, like, it was, technically, it was a part of the Grand Canyon, but like, yeah, there were cliffs and stuff and like a river and it was beautiful. But if we went that bit further, we would have got to the, you know, the famous bit with the viewing deck and we would have been able to experience... Um, the, the true depth and, and majesty there that was on offer if we went that bit further. And, and what we've got here is um, an opportunity for, for us in the middle of pain and trial and suffering and hardship to really push in further to God, um, to experience more of his depth and majesty as we cry out to him, in the middle of my pain, would you be leading and guiding me? Would you be at work right now, God, in my suffering, that I would know more of your majesty and depth while I wait for your rescue? Because David's cry is that God would make him to know his ways, that he would make him to know how to respond, the paths that he's to take. But not only that he would know, but that he would be led in the way that he lives as he lives through suffering. And that's great for us because we see there that just because something terrible has happened or just because something terrible is happening to you, it, it doesn't mean that God's not there. It doesn't mean that God is absent. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. But it's an opportunity to cry out to the Lord, Lord, would you be at work right now in the middle of my suffering? That I would be led into truth, that I would know your ways and that you would help me to walk in them. It shows a humility on the part of of David doesn't it to cry out to the Lord would you lead and guide and instruct me but we also see his humility his soft-heartedness as he turns to God not just for guidance but he turns to God for forgiveness as well which is also surprising because um, so often when we suffer when we go through hardship um, we're tempted to shrink the world down to just our experience and what we've got right in front of us. But David here has this bigger, deeper picture of what is going on in his own heart and what God is up to. 
he says in verses 6 and 7, he cries out, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. And do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. And then in verse 11, he circles back around to this theme of forgiveness and repentance. And he says, For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, even though it's great. And then in verse 18, he says, Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. We, we heard a, a few weeks ago from the, the sermon in Lamentations that um, the suffering and hardship that we experience isn't necessarily a result of the sins that we do. We don't always suffer because of some sin in our life. Uh, what I'm discovering in my own walk with Jesus recently is that even though I can be, I think, honestly, innocent in a situation, somebody sins against me, or I come across some hardship or frustration or difficulty, and pretty sure I'm innocent. I haven't sinned and this has come upon me. But sin gets me another way, another sneaky way, in that I give in to the temptation to respond sinfully to suffering or somebody sins against me and I give in to the temptation to sin against them in response and that's a reminder that in the pain and in the difficulty I'm somebody who is always in need of rescue I'm somebody who is always in need of God's forgiveness and it looks like David sees that David says to the Lord, like, remember a few things. Remember your love and your mercy and how you've always been like that, God. You've always been a God of love and mercy. And remember me and don't remember something else. Don't remember the sins of my past. Don't remember my rebellion. And not only that, even now, Lord, would you forgive any iniquity any sin going on in my life. The um, great old preacher um, Charles Spurgeon said something like, the, the sorrows that we experience can cause us to remember the, the sorrow that we've got over our sin. And so this um, suffering is also an opportunity for us to, to reflect and to ask God, God, would you search my heart for any sins going on in there? Like, I want to be somebody who's clean and forgiven. I want to be protected by uprightness. I want to walk in your ways. Because I remember this, um, this story from the life of Jesus. Jesus was having this um, amazing day of ministry, of teaching and healing. He was operating out of somebody's house and the place was just packed full of people. And these guys had a friend who was paralyzed and they thought, our friend, he needs healing and so he needs Jesus. And so they bring their friend on a, on a mat to the house, but it's just so packed, they can't get him there. And they're like, we need to get him to Jesus. And so they... they lift him onto the roof of the house and they 
pull away the roofing and they lower the guy down to Jesus' feet. And I imagine the, everybody looking on at Jesus. What is Jesus going to do? The guy on the mat looking expectantly at Jesus. And Jesus' words to him are, your sins are forgiven. What? <laughs> the crowd asking, what? Why? Or his friends saying, why, why are you talking about his sins? His, his legs need to work. Um, Jesus would go on to heal um, that man. But what does Jesus see in that moment? He sees that there's more than just the immediate visible circumstance. And he sees through to what this guy on the mat really, truly needs. And what he needs most deeply in his life is what we all need most of all. And that's for our sins to be forgiven, our hearts um, right before the Lord, for, for, our, um, for us to be right with God. Jesus sees through that and sees this guy's deepest need. And it looks like that David, in his wisdom, uh, also sees this in his own life. That he's not satisfied with just, oh Lord, um, would you rescue me? Would you take my suffering away? But this, Lord, would you give me what I really need most? And that's my sins forgiven. So David remembers that um, to turn to God in the middle of suffering and in the middle of his pain and difficulty, he turns to him for guidance and for forgiveness. And we see that he turns to God for blessing as well, even in the middle of pain. In verses 12 to 14, he sings, Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. He will spend, they will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. So there's blessing in the suffering. The, the one who fears God, the one who looks upon the Lord with reverent awe, who says, not my way of living but yours, God, um, there's some promises here. This is um, promise covenantal language from God, which was so familiar to God's people of the day. What's, what's going on there um, where he says uh, they will spend their days in prosperity? Well, if I understand it right, this is a recognition that things are not okay right now things are not okay but I am okay because my soul is well my soul is prosperous I things are not okay but I am okay God because my soul is well why is why is David's soul well because he's got a home he's got a place to which he belongs Verse 13 continues, um, and their descendants will inherit the land. This, this theme, this promise of land is so important um, to, to the Israelites that God would be giving them an inheritance, a place to belong. And we see that um, the other side of the cross, that we, we've got this in Jesus, 
that we've got our belonging to God. That, and so that means that even if things are not okay, we can be okay because our soul is well because we belong to God. We're, we're a part of his kingdom. We've got this inheritance in, in Christ. And then David continues, and this is, I think this is even better. Um, he says in verse 14 that the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. And this is relationship, friendship language. Like, who is it that you confide in? Who is it that you tell your secrets to? Who is it that you share the deepest part of yourself with? It's those that you're closest with. Depending on the um, version of the Bible that you've got in front of you, um, verse 14 might read, um, the Lord makes his friendship with those who fear him, or the Lord shares his secrets with those who fear him. Um, Either way, this is saying that those who fear the Lord um, are brought into his inner circle. There's deep intimacy. There's relationship with God. So that's great news because it means that for those of us um, who trust in Jesus, we, we don't just have a king and we don't just belong to God's kingdom, but the king of that kingdom is also your friend. That through Christ you've been brought into relationship with him. If you... Um, share a deep relationship with someone, like maybe a, a, a marriage or a deep, deep friendship with somebody. You, you know what it is to share um, deep parts of yourself with someone else, to, to confide in someone, um, to be able to come to someone um, with, your, with your pain and with your suffering and to have somebody... Um, that you're a part of their inner circle. That is strengthening, isn't it? That, that kind of relationship is, is life-giving. Um, but not all of us experience relationship in that way. We know that relationships can be broken. We know that, um, that even the, the best of friendships, the best of marriages, are just an imperfect picture of what we've got in God. Because other people let us down. Other people disappoint us. We don't always love each other well. We don't always listen well. We're not always strong for one another. And this is a reminder that what we have in God is so much greater. We've got this perfect relationship. We've got this perfect friend. We've got this one who is always there. The one who is ultimately strong for you. The one who is always there to listen our never-failing friend and king. And lastly, David turns to his God in the middle of pain and suffering for hope. In verse 15, he says, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. And then in verse 21, he says, May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, it's in you. And so the hope of David isn't in himself. It's not in his own ability to fix the situation or circumstance or to fix the problem of his 
pain or suffering. His hope isn't there and his hope isn't even in other people who might be a help to him. But his ultimate hope is in God. He says, my, my feet are caught in a net right now. My feet are in a net, but my eyes are on you, Lord. And that's where his hope is, as he waits for rescue, even in the middle of his suffering. And his prayer is that integrity and uprightness would protect him as he waits. Earlier in the psalm, he describes God as the one who is upright. And now his cry is that his own character would reflect what God is like as he suffers, as he awaits God's rescue. That's what he wants. He wants a life that looks like God's. And so there's a challenge there for us um, that when we're caught in the net, in the net of sin or suffering, pain, hardship, difficulty, whatever that net is, on the one hand, to not dismiss the net around our feet and to pretend it's not there or just not think about it. Um, And then on the other hand, the challenge is to not spend our time just staring at the net that's trapped our feet, but to instead be like David and to say, yep, my feet are in a net right now, but my eyes are on you, God. That's where my hope is, as I wait for your rescue. A great thing about the Psalms is that they're not just they're not just God's word to us, but they're people's word, words to God. And they can be a great help to us when we, we don't even know what to say. We don't know what to pray. We don't know what to, what to sing out. Um, but here we've got these inspired words that we can take a hold of, like what people have done for the last 3,000 years in expressing their hope in God this, this psalm, um, it's really, really personal, isn't it? Even as um, it, it worships Lord, is a help to worship the Lord. There's lots of I language, lots of me, 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 which is good and important and great. Uh, but as David finishes his song, it ends on, on this. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. And so as the song finishes, it kind of explodes out over God's people, asking that not only would David be helped by God, not only would David experience the rescue of God, but his desire is that all of God's people would know what it is to have God as their helper. He steps outside of that, um, that, that mould. He steps outside of just himself. He even steps outside of the acrostic pattern there and says, Lord, not just me, but would all your people know you as their help? We're reminded of, of Jesus because David and the people of his day, they were looking forward to a redeemer, a great rescuer of Israel. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus. The people of the day, they, they're crying out for God's guidance. God, would you be the one who's leading and guiding me and teaching me? Would you show me the way? And when we get to our New Testaments, we see Jesus show up. And he doesn't just 
show the way. He doesn't just teach the way, but he says, I am the way. And not only that, when Jesus dies and rises again, ascends to the Father, those who have trusted in Jesus have the spirit of Jesus poured out upon them. In John 16, Jesus describes the promised spirit this way. The spirit shows what is true and will come and guide you into the full truth. And so you and I, this side of the cross, have much more to hold on to, much more to grab a hold of than even David. That if you've trusted in Jesus, you have the spirit of Christ in you who leads and guides and teaches, even in the middle of suffering. You have Jesus as your way. The cry for our deepest need, which is forgiveness, that's met in Jesus. Jesus is the one who is sinless, the only one who lived a perfect, sinless life, fulfilled the law of God perfectly, and yet he suffered and died on a cross for you, that you would know what it is to be forgiven and cleansed of your sin. On the cross, the... um, Verses 19 and 20 could have been Jesus' words. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life, rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame for I take refuge in you. And yet, Jesus died. He died lonely and afflicted that those who would trust in him would know what it is to have communion, relationship with God that those who trust in him would know what it is to have their hearts healed. That those who trust in his name would have their sins forgiven. And so even though we suffer, we've got this suffering saviour in Jesus and it means that suffering and pain and hardship, it isn't foreign to God. It's not just something that's peculiar to us. But God himself knows what it is to suffer and to be in anguish. And you have a saviour in Jesus who willingly stepped into the brokenness and pain of this world that you'd be able to trust in him, that you'd be able to look to him and that by his grace we can together live life after him as he enables us and empowers us by his spirit to trust in him and to live life after him. And it means that God is with us always, even through the suffering. He is is at work. I love, and strangely enough, I find it encouraging that by the end of this psalm, things aren't fixed. It's not one of those songs that by the end of it, we're, we're singing things were really bad before and God has come through and everything is better now. We're not there yet. Um, by the end of this psalm, we're kind of left hanging. We're left waiting for God's rescue. And that's really where we're all at. We all await the day when Jesus will return, renewing the heavens and the earth, We await the removal of all sin and pain and death and suffering. We await the removal of the presence of sin 
And we wait looking in hope to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are good and you are God. We thank you that you are not um, a God who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, with our suffering, um, but you as the sinless saviour were tempted to sin in every way, um, but you remained sinless. We thank you, Jesus, that you would willingly step um, into the pain and brokenness of this world. We thank you that you have your ears um, open to us to hear our cry, our cry of rescue. Lord, would you help us as we come across suffering and difficulty, as we um, live in pain and hardship, as we deal with disappointment and frustration and sin. God, would you be our hope? Would you help us, Lord, to remember that you are the one who triumphs ultimately? And so, Lord, we await your rescue, whether right away um, where you remove our pain and suffering right now or we await the ultimate removal, Lord. But either way, would you help us to be a people who look to you and say, even though our feet are caught in a net, we are looking to you. Thank you, Lord, for the relationship, um, this belonging that we have to you because you have purchased us by your blood. Amen.